So I was considering this week why it is people go to church. Maybe being you know, a professional church person, uh, that's a question uh, I, I ask often uh, and try to answer well and, and highly to someone. But I was thinking this week, what, what brings you to church? What would you say if I asked you that question? What brought you to church today? It could be that the free donuts and childcare were enough. You're like, sweet, I can, uh, I can go sit in a semi-comfortable chair uh, and know my kids are well cared for, and, and maybe that was enough uh, to get you here today. Maybe it was the expectation of seeing friends. Maybe it was uh, because you needed uh, that, that step out of the normal everyday routine, your dose of encouragement for the week. Maybe you came uh, with, with a little more somber purpose in your heart. Maybe you came because you look at the world around us, and yeah, you knew you know, two weeks ago that the world uh, was a tough place, but it was mostly tough for other people. Uh, and, and now it feels a little closer to home. You feel a little more closely uh, what happens when, uh, when, when hate goes unchecked. And you're wondering, what does God have to say about that? Is there any power in this world that's greater uh, than the powers that seem to be tearing it apart? Or maybe it's not, uh, it's not the circumstances in our community that, that draw you here, but it's the crisis in your own heart. You feel like you're right on the edge, and you're not sure what's over the edge, but you don't want to find out. And you're looking for hope, and you don't know how to manage uh, the problems in your life, and you're just like, I, I need to know that there's something stronger than, than, than me in this world, because I'm frankly tired out. Wherever you're at in that spectrum, whatever your reasons uh, for being here, I think they're the right reasons. There may be more for you than you're expecting, but I think whatever gets you in the door is the right thing. And I think we should have great hope and expectation. I think this week will be a wonderful week to look at why we should have great hope and expectation. Because we're looking uh, at, at Paul's, uh, Paul's letter entitled uh, Ephesians. It was, it was uh, written, you know, kind of uh, credited to the church in Ephesus, but written by Paul uh, to be uh, a letter that was circulated through churches. It was kind of his, his general call uh, to churches about their purpose, about their action, about what it looks like to be the church. And last week, we looked at, uh, at the purpose of the church, the great purpose that we're called to. Maybe you were here last week, and you're like, yes, purpose, I'll do that. Uh, and then this week looked exactly the same as the week before did. And you come here maybe just feeling a little bit defeated. Like, okay, I was all gung-ho on purpose, and now I'm not sure what to do with a life that looks exactly the same, that's equally as pleasing or equally as disappointing. This week, we're going to look at the reality that the purpose that Paul outlines also comes with the promise of the power of God. And we see this in Paul's prayer for the church. He says, here's what we're about. It's the purposes of God, and here's what my heart is for you in that. So let's begin by reading that prayer, and it's the end of chapter one. We'll start in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and domination, or in dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. We spend most of our time this morning looking at that idea of power, the power available to us, the power we have in Christ. What is Paul talking about there? We oftentimes don't think of power directly as something that we aspire to have. We think of power, you know, like horsepower in a car or electric power, but, but uh, and we oftentimes don't use the word power to describe what we seek in life. But we describe the aspects of power. Security, the ability to protect ourselves, whether it's the, the, the pin code on your phone or the lock at the gate of your neighborhood. Or the ability to control circumstances and outcomes. The ability to ensure that we have what we want. Whether it be comfort or the job that we want or the relationships that we want. We want control of our circumstances. We want to know if we begin something, how it will end. Or maybe, we think, maybe the power comes in the, con- in, in, in the umbrella of security. Knowing that we'll be okay, our loved ones will be okay. It's, it's all about the 401k and the retirement plan and all of that. All of those things are aspects of power. And we want those things, and those things seem like really good things, but we also recognize how painful it is to feel powerless. I mean, no one brags about how powerless they are. No one comes home and says, oh, I just had the, 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 the best day today. My boss was demeaning to me. No one respects me. I failed at all my projects. And then when I got home, I felt like I was a ghost walking through the house because uh, no one had listened to me. And I had to tell the kids, you know, a thousand times uh, to pick up their toys. And I still ended up stepping on their toys. And I feel completely powerless. It was a wonderful day. No one goes about their life that way. Being powerless is a scary thing. A few years back, I was uh, I was in Kenya, and uh, and uh, visiting with some friends with in our partnership with Nairobi Chapel, and uh, and nowadays uh, most of the time that I travel to Africa, I'll bring one of our kids uh, with us. It's you know they're getting old enough where uh, where they can come with, and so that affects some of the places uh, that I'll go and some of the choices that I'll make in terms of uh, in terms of safety factor and all of that. I was I was meeting this week with our interns, which we have awesome summer interns, and, uh, and after, I mean, I don't know, we're two weeks uh, into the internship, and one of them uh, said, she's like, what I've learned about you so far in this internship is that you put yourself in dangerous situations, uh, which I thought was uh, either, uh, yeah, was funny, uh, and maybe, uh, maybe I have a very narrow focus on uh, what stories I like to tell. I guess it's got to have danger to be interesting. Uh, to me, but I was uh, I was in Kenya and, and I was told I was you know I'm, I'm going to do some visits uh, in, in some of the outreach ministries of Nairobi Chapel, and I've been in a lot of dangerous uh, situations before, and uh, and am generally not a, a fearful person or anything like that, and so uh, so I did not think much of uh, the environment we were walking into or, or the prospect 
of the day. And so they took me to, to visit the woman who led this ministry that, that, that was an outreach in a slum. And if you're familiar at all with, uh, with in particular, uh, African kind of mega city uh, cultures, there's, there's these cities that draw in people from the rural areas who are, who are seeking a, a way out of a life of rural poverty, and they end up in situations that are most definitely seem to be worse uh, than rural poverty, this urban, uh, dangerous slum poverty. And these slums that are all around uh, the city of Nairobi are, are incredibly dangerous. They're dangerous uh, in, in terms of living conditions, in terms of safety, in terms of health. And, uh, and, and as an outsider, uh, you generally don't go into a slum uh, without, uh, without having connections and friends on the inside. Because you're walking into, into a different world. You talk to almost any uh, you know, wealthy or middle class uh, Kenyan in Nairobi, and, and they would be afraid to walk in the slums. It's not a friendly place to be. And so I was told we're going to go into the slum. Uh, there's one particular very dangerous slum uh, that, this day. And so I met the woman who was taking us in, and she was an extraordinarily normal woman. Uh, and uh, I mean, she was, uh, she, she did not strike me as, uh, as being exceptional in any way other than she was just really nice. Uh, and I thought, well, surely if she's uh, leading us into this dangerous uh, situation, then it can't be all that dangerous uh, because she certainly doesn't seem uh, like she's too scrappy and can, and can handle herself uh, in a brawl of any kind. And so uh, so I, I, I lowered my expectations of what, or my assumptions about what the danger scenario would look like. But we go in a couple hours later to the slum, and we navigate our ways uh, through all these narrow alleys, and, and I'm lost in this maze of the slum. And we end up in an area about half the size of this room. This woman works with, uh, with, with street kids, in particular uh, young men, who've been uh, kind of left to their own devices on the street, and, and in almost every circumstance, if you're a child abandoned in a slum, bad things happen to you. And for these young men uh, that she particularly worked with, uh, they were all under the charge uh, uh, of this woman uh, who's like a, a gangster lady with all these thugs uh, who would control these young men uh, by, by getting them addicted uh, to huffing uh, like wood glue. And, and uh, it was just all, I mean, you wa I walked into this place and it was just awful. And, uh, and, there's, and there's all these uh, extraordinarily high, very dangerous uh, young men um, who, uh, who are under the, the power and influence of this woman who uses them uh, to, you know, to rob, steal, murder. I mean, it's, it was a dangerous situation and we certainly were not welcome there. And as I stood there and kind of got my bearings and, and, and observed what was going on around, I had this sense of like, oh my goodness, I am completely powerless in this, in this situation. I'm completely powerless. I'm an outsider. I couldn't even find my way out of the slum if I needed to, and I'm pretty sure I couldn't make it out of, the, uh, out of this alley I'm in if I wanted to. I'm completely out of control. Now, oftentimes when we feel powerless, it doesn't feel exactly like that. Well, the circumstances, at least, aren't exactly like that. But we have moments when we're acutely aware of how powerless we are. Maybe it's when you lost that job, and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I'm gonna take care, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills, I don't know how I'm gonna provide for my loved ones. Or you've been relocated for work and you had to uproot your family and go to a place you didn't wanna go, but you didn't have any choice, you had no power in those circumstances. Maybe it's that class you're taking or that major uh, you've chosen that no matter how hard you work, you can't seem to make headway. You can't seem to make all the pieces fit together. Maybe it's that thing that you know is harmful to you 
but you justify it again and again and again. And it's, if you're honest, it owns you right now. And you're powerless to stop. Maybe it's no raging storm at all. Maybe it's just the fact that, that uh, you're in the very same unpredictable life every day. And you feel like you were made for more. You got excited when we talked about purpose last week, but you're really not sure what that looks like, and you certainly don't feel like you have power over whether or not your circumstances change. We want power. We know we kind of need it, but we feel powerless. As we talk about that element, that, that, that idea of the power we have in Christ, there's three th- things in particular that we're going to look at today. One, Paul doesn't pray that the followers of Jesus would have power, but that they would know the power that they have, that they would recognize the power that they already have, that same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. The second thing is, is we're going to look at the, at the resurrection and realize that it doesn't just tell us information about Jesus, but it represents an invitation into the reality of the resurrection, to live lives that are truly alive. And finally, as we, as we live that life, as we live the resurrection life, with all the power that we have, what does it look like for the church? Well, how do we become the church that God has made us to be? Jim Miller, who uh, some of you have been uh, watching his Ephesians videos uh, as we've gone through the study this summer in your, in your Connect group. Uh, he's, he's a brilliant uh, professor and uh, brilliant because he, may, he, he makes the Bible easy to understand. He takes all that smart stuff and, and makes it so that a guy like me uh, can understand it. What he says uh, about Paul's letters is when Paul is writing a letter, he's writing to accomplish something in the world. He wants to get something done. He's not just giving information. I wrote a letter this week uh, to, to Tommy, uh, who uh, you, you may know him. He goes, uh, he goes to Summit. If you're pretty much in the building uh, here at Waterford at the same time Tommy is, you've met him. He's just that kind of personality uh, and just a wonderful uh, young man. And he was, he, his, uh, his dream every summer is to, uh, is to go serve on, uh, on work crew uh, for, for Young Life camps. And so last year when he was going, he was like, will you please write me a letter? And I said, of course I will, Tommy. And so this year, I'm actually going to do it. Uh, and, and I felt so bad when I, when I missed writing him a letter last year. So this year, I'm, I'm committed to writing him a letter. So Tuesday, I sit down to write him a letter. And I'm like, well, what do I say in a letter? <laughs> and I was like, I was like I, Tommy, how are you? I'll be vacationing in North Carolina. I mean, it was the lamest letter until I realized uh, that probably what I could do was, it was encourage him. <laughs> but uh, but it, it when Paul's writing, it's not just words on a page. It's not just chit-chat. It's not just for the sake of making connection. He's writing because he is on a mission. He wants the church to know who they are and what God has designed them to do. So Paul is writing to get something done. And with that in mind, let's read again his prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So first, uh, first thing, so, so that you may know him better, that we would have a spirit of, uh, 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 of revelation, that we would, uh, re- wisdom and revelation. The spirit that, that he's talking about there is, uh, is the spirit of God, that the, 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 the spirit of God would be present in our lives so that we would recognize God, that we would know him better. Paul recognizes that in order uh, to get the things done, 
uh, in the world that, that God wants to get done, we have to know him. And he continues, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So not only do we, do we need to know God, know whose we are, but we also need to know who we are. That we are heirs to the glorious inheritance. That we are participants in the family of God. That we're not just, uh, that, that we're not just witnesses uh, to who God is, but we are part of his family. And then he goes on to say, in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. An incomparably great power that we have already in Christ. Paul doesn't want the, he's not praying that those people in that church would just know that they have the ability to access power if they need to know about the power of God. He wanted them to recognize the power that they already have, the power that, that they have because Jesus was raised from the dead. The power that God used to raise Jesus is the power that is alive in those who follow him. You might say, okay, I get that that idea is true, but if you look at my life, you'd see I really don't have much power. I can't make my kids obey. I can't make my boss respect me. I can't make the things happen in my life that I need to. But if Paul is right, if what he's praying is that we would recognize the power that we already have, even if those feelings of powerlessness are real, they're not true. Those who are followers of Jesus already have the power of the resurrection in their lives. Let's read again verse 19 through 21 his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. That power that he's talking about is the power that God demonstrated in raising Jesus from the dead. See, God didn't raise Jesus from the dead just to prove that he is who he said he is, although that's a part of it. But the power of the resurrection means that we can live with the full power of Christ in our lives. That we can actually live new lives that people can actually change. And the idea of resurrection can be a difficult one, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus. I mean, honestly, as a follower of Jesus, it can get a little bit heady at times. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be able to look at the life of Jesus and say, yes, I recognize that he that he did good things. You might even be able to, to respect uh, that he died um, for the sake of other people. But the idea that Jesus actually rose from the dead, you might be like, do Christians really believe that? 
Do they really think that Jesus was dead, buried, and then raised to new life? And that that, and that, that same thing happens for us spiritually when we give our lives to Jesus? Do they really believe that? It seems kind of crazy. Well, the answer is yes, absolutely. And yes, it seems a little crazy, but absolutely we believe it. We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. When you look back to, the, to, to, to Genesis and look at the brokenness of sin, what broke the world in the first place, the, the ultimate consequence of sin was death. When Jesus took on the punishment for our sin in his death, he also broke the power of sin that is death in our lives. And we no longer have to live by the rules of death. We can live new lives. Have you ever said, oh, that person can't change. I don't believe that person can change. It was probably someone you didn't like very much, and you're like, they'll never change. Maybe someone said that about you. But the reality is, people can change. Transformation is available because of the power of the resurrection. And change may not happen overnight, and change may not happen right away in the person that you want, and they may choose not to change. You may choose not to change, but that doesn't mean transformation can't happen. That doesn't mean life change can't happen power of the resurrection says lives can be transformed. Terry, who was baptized a few years back at Summit, described that transformation in the following ways. Prior to God finally getting my attention, I believed in God, but I didn't think I deserved his attention. After all, I was just a low-life drunk with no self-esteem. I was the least of his worries. I never expected him to bother with me, nor did I want him to waste his time on such an undeserving wretch like me. And this is when transformation happens. I accepted God when he made me realize that my belief that I was a lowlife and didn't deserve him was far from reality. God seeks the poor, weak, and sinful to help and change us. My life as a Christian has not always been easy, but it has always been worth it. Life has meaning. I have purpose. I want what God wants. I want to be Christ-like. I want to live in heaven and praise God for all the miracles he has performed in my life. I want everyone to, knew, to know that they, too, deserve to be loved unconditionally. Those who feel unloved, undeserving, abandoned, abused, and worthless need to know that God sees them as worthy and beautiful. That's what happen, happens when the power of the resurrection is leveraged in someone's life. It's not better circumstances. It is new life. It is life where there is formerly death. I had the privilege a few weeks back of, uh, of leading in a memorial service uh, for a woman uh, named Lee. And I say it was a privilege because she was just uh, such a dear woman. I got to know her in the last uh, six months of her life, and she's just a fascinating woman. I got to know her family, and so I was really felt privileged to be a part of her memorial service and to stand uh, with their family in, the, in, in a time of celebrating her life. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity uh, to, to talk to someone who, who, who gives their life to Jesus a little bit later in life, uh, but it's a beautiful thing because they, uh, they, they know very clearly what they've been saved from. And they know very clearly what it looks like to have new life. They gave her life to Jesus when she was about 50 years old. 
And, uh, and she was describing it to me. She's, you know, and she led a, an amazing, I mean, she, an amazing life. She was in, uh, she worked for the British Embassy in D.C. during World War II. And like, I mean, there's so many amazing things in her life. But she, she said the one thing that changed everything in my life was when I gave my life to Jesus. And her daughter, who is, uh, who is 16 at the time, is now in her early 60s, uh, was there listening to the story. And she said, I can tell you as, uh, as a rebellious uh, you know, 16-year-old, I saw the change in my parents' lives. It's like, it was night and day what happened in their lives. God changed their lives overnight. And this woman who's now, who's now grown and has daughters of her own, all of them are followers of Jesus. They, they live in the power of that resurrection life. And Lee, when she talks about how she came to Jesus, she said there's this woman uh, who's, her, who's her best friend who, uh, who, who led her to Christ. And she said it was really an amazing time in, in Winter Park where they live. Uh, she said it was, it was, this was back in the, I guess, early 70s. And she said there was just this small revival that happened. And it didn't really get noticed, but there was just so many people came to Jesus during that time. And it was all kind of centered around the woman who led her to the Lord. And so I saw this woman at the memorial service, uh, and, and I was like, I have to talk to her. And so I went up to her at the reception afterwards, and, and we were chatting about Lee's life. Uh, and she, too, kind of mentioned that, the, that God was doing amazing things in that time, and there seemed to be this revival. And so I said, what happened? What was it that made revival happen in that time? She said, it's really simple. So there's a few of us women who gave our lives to Jesus, and we wanted, to, we wanted to know more about him, and we wanted all our friends to know what he'd done for us. It's like, that's what did it. God used that to grow this small Bible study into a group of 200 women who ended up uh, changing uh, so many churches and, and Christian communities in Orlando. It's an amazing and beautiful thing. That's what happens when, when the reality of the resurrection is lived and the power given to us in Christ. The resurrection means that things can actually change. People's lives can actually change. Your life, my life. You may look at your circumstances and you may still not know what that looks like. You may be like, that's great, I get that, uh, but I don't know how that's gonna fix my marriage. I don't know how that's gonna save me from, from, from uh, the debt I'm joining. Or I don't know how that's gonna fix uh, the, this, these broken patterns in my life. You may look at that and say, I don't know how that makes sense of the shooting at Pulse or, 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 or the loss of children or, or other acts of violence. I, I don't know how it makes sense of that. I don't know how the power of God leveraged through us changes those things. But it absolutely can. It absolutely can because the resurrection power, the power of what God has done, has been and will continue to change everything. Till Jesus returns and makes everything right. But it can be a difficult thing to believe when, you, when you're face-to-face -face with, the, with the painful circumstances, either in your world or your community or the world at large. On Saturday, I was uh, over at the Herndon campus. There was this event uh, for, for African refugees that, that we were hosting, and so our family showed up and we volunteered uh, for the event, really just as an excuse uh, to to get around some uh, some Africans uh, who are like there uh, there were folks who've been in the U.S. for a little while and then uh, and the folks who are brand new uh, refugees and you could easily tell kind of how long people have been here uh, by by how uh, traditional they were in their African attire and all of that uh, but so many of them have just come from really really difficult circumstances. I mean, they're here, they're, they're grateful to be here, uh, but they're not here because America's so awesome. They're here because the circumstances that they've been in have been so 
egregious. I heard the other day uh, when listening to the testimony of someone who is an African refugee, it takes about 10 years uh, to reach stability, minimum, when you're a refugee. Many of them will live decades in refugee camps before they ever get permanently located in a new home. So these folks have been through a really tough time. And at the beginning of this event, they, did, uh, they wanted to do a prayer for the nations. And me being an American, uh, I, I want to be efficient. And so my thought was, oh, if we're going to do a prayer for the nations, then, uh, then we will do a prayer for the nations. And, uh, and the way that they do it is they do a prayer for each nation 55 times over. Uh, and, uh, and so I led this time of prayer and prayed 55 prayers, 54 for the African nations, one uh, for America, 55 prayers over the course of what felt like way too long a time. And in each of those prayers, I'm praying words that I know are true. But I'm also praying in, in circumstance, about circumstances that I know seem impossible. And time and time and time again, I'm praying that God's church will rise up, that God will be glorified in these nations. And as I prayed, I found myself, after repeating what I knew to be true, what I knew to be true again and again and again, I found myself believing it with that much more sincerity. Because when you look at the brokenness of the world and you look at everything that we have at our disposal outside of Christ, it doesn't add up to a fixed world. It's only the power of God that fixes impossibly broken circumstances. It's only the power of God that fixes impossibly broken lives. It's that resurrection power that we see in Jesus that we are invited into. And that power that God has given us is not power reserved for the smartest, for the most educated, for the most holy. It's for me it's for you, it's for all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have that kind of power. You who believe, you follow a God who raises dead things, who does the impossible. And he wants to do that in and through your life. You may think, I don't know. I don't know if he wants to do that in my life. I don't know if he could do that through my life. You don't know how messed up I am. You don't know how many bad choices I make. You don't know uh, You don't know how little I have together. I barely managed to put nice clothes on today. Then that's about all you'll get from me this weekend. And you're right. I don't know. You might, your life might be a complete disaster. But Jesus, who knows you, says you have his power in you. You have his power. God is setting the world right, and he's given you the invitation and the power to join him. And the key to living in the power we have, the power demonstrated in Jesus' resurrection, is to remember who we are, that we are heirs in the kingdom of God, and to remember whose we are, that we are children of our Savior. And what we're talking about when we're talking about the power of God is not just human power supercharged. It's not just a better version of what we're capable of. It's not, we're not the Batman equivalent of superpowers where when you take away all the fancy suits, it's just gadgets and money. What we're talking about is otherworldly power, power that goes beyond anything we could come up with on our own. That is the power that we live in. And it's actually our, our pursuit of power, our personal power, is situations where we feel powerless that can block the power that we have in Christ. Because we can choose, we can choose, are we going to live in our own power? Are we going to live in the power of the resurrection? And I think the only way that we can consistently make the right choice, when we can consistently live in the power of God rather than the power of ourselves, is in prayer. I think that's why Paul opened his letter 
in prayer. We said, because of all this purpose, I want you to know I am praying for you, praying that you will know the power that you have, praying that you'll know God enough to trust him and live in that power. For me, when I, when I need to, to make those decisions, it is, it is in prayer where, where I find that clarity and that courage to trust Jesus. That woman in Kenya uh, who I was telling you about, before we went uh, into that slum, we gathered, and it was, and it was uh, her, myself, and I think three other women, and uh, she said, um, we're going into a dangerous situation. And so we want to make sure that we pray at least, spend at least as much time praying as we are going to be in that situation. And again, being efficient, I was like, well, that seems like a lot of prayer. Uh, and, uh, and they prayed, and they prayed that God would be, pre be present. They prayed uh, that people would be praying for them. They prayed for God's power to be evident in their lives, for God to protect us, for God to guide us, for God to give them wisdom. And I had no idea how much we needed that prayer until we were there. And I'm sitting there and feeling the powerless of my, powerlessness of my circumstances. And right in that moment when I was feeling how dangerous this, the situation was when I was starting to get that pit in my stomach, I just got this sense from God look, that he wanted me to look around and see what was really happening. So I looked around and I realized, unlike every other time that I've been a slum in any other country in Africa, in this, in this instance, I was invisible. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm extremely white, and I have very straight hair. And when I go into a slum in Africa, there is no going in incognito. And I was here in this very hostile situation, and, and everyone around, everyone who would have wanted to do me harm was looking right through me. It was, it was unbelievable. And this woman, this little courageous woman who had very little power of her own, stood in front of this angry, Ursula-looking lady, gangster lady, and all her thugs who were sitting there, and, uh, and she spoke truth and love into this woman's life. And this woman who, who wanted nothing but harm for her couldn't even get out of her seat. To, she, it was as if she was held there. And all the thugs who were standing behind her were just standing there and they could, as if they couldn't move. And it was this supernatural moment where I sensed the power of God on display. It's that kind of power that is available in our lives. It's that kind of power that makes it so that the work that we do in, 30, in 33rd Street Jail actually invites people to be participants in kingdom work. It's that kind of power that gets leveraged when we show up, when we serve in the world around us, when we volunteer uh, here at church. It's, it, it's that kind of power that's available to us in everyday circumstances as well as extraordinary circumstances. I think the most interesting thing in this whole text as I read it this week, the most captivating for me, was in verse 23. I'll start reading in verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him. How often do we settle for a church that seems like a shadow of what will be or a whisper of what has been? How often do we settle for a church that seems to be a uh, a masquerade of, of the power of Christ. What Paul is saying here is that we would be, that we'd recognize that we're the fullness of Christ, the full expression of his work in the world. What would that look like for us as a church if we saw the power of that, if we saw the potential of that in our homes, in our workplace, in our city, in our world? The fullness of Christ.
N.T. Wright describes it this way. It isn't the church that finds itself doing a few of the things that Jesus' first followers found themselves doing. It is that the story Jesus is telling, is giving, is one in which Jesus' followers now have a vision. And it is a mission that goes beyond time, the time and space of the three years of Jesus' ministry. This is what he meant when he said in his last moments with his followers, after his painful death and glorious unexpected resurrection, go, love, and tell. That power is available to us. And as we go through this week ahead, as we look at what does it mean for the power of the resurrection to be evident in our lives, I would suggest that it begins with prayer. And if you don't know the words to pray, maybe read Paul's prayer as as for yourself. Own those words for yourself. Ask that God will make them increasingly true in your life. See what God does as a result in your everyday circumstances and the extraordinary opportunity he gives us as we live out his full purpose as a church. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we recognize how often we settle for less. How often we settle for less than what you've designed your church to be. How often we've settled for less than what you've made us to be. We ask that with increasing clarity and increasing urgency, we recognize the power of the resurrection in our lives. I pray for every person in this room who's a follower of you that they will have a sense of your presence and a recognition of the power that you've given them. I pray for every person in this room who is seeking, who's wondering if you are who you say you are. They'll give them a glimpse of the, the idea that life change can actually happen, that transformation is possible because of what you've done. Let us be a community where that can't, uh, that can't help but be evident to the world around us. Let us be conduits of your hope and love and power to the world around us because of your almighty work. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.